Well, again, good morning, and let me welcome you again to the online worship experience here at Coleman First Baptist Church. I'm glad you're here. I've got exciting news today about a new series that I want us to walk through as a church, right? A brand new series. It's based on a book of the Bible. It's based on the Old Testament book, Isaiah. And I'm calling this new series, you ready for this? I'm calling it Isaiah. <laughs> now, clever, right? Now, why a brand new series and why a series all about Isaiah? Why now? Because Isaiah is fundamentally a book about God. Now, that may seem obvious. Of course it's a book about God. Aren't all the books in the Bible about God? <clears throat> but Isaiah, often called the Prince of Prophets, sometimes the book of Isaiah is called the Fifth Gospel. Isaiah, uh, uh, in the Old Testament, he's preaching to a group of people. They've lost their way. They've, they're wondering what's going on. At parts of the book of Isaiah, he's preaching to a group of people who are in exile, and, and things are falling apart around them. And the book comes back to over and over again the topic of who is God? Can God be trusted? What, is his, what are his attributes? What is he like? Who is God? Now, again, that may sound like an obvious question, uh, but there may be no more important question to ask. I mean, consider that. What do you think of when you think of God? In your mind, who is God? Who, what is God like? There's an old theologian, A.W. Tozer. Uh, uh, A.W. Tozer. His friends called him All Tozer. Maybe. Probably no one called him that. At any rate, he wrote back in the 70s, he's got this famous quote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God, Tozer says, is the most important thing about us. Now, 40 years before that, a good friend of mine, C.S. Lewis, said, actually, the most important thing about us is not what we think about God. It's what God thinks of us. That's the most important thing. So Lewis's thoughtful objection aside, I think Tozer makes a great point. What, what comes into your mind when you think about God? What you think about God, your doctrine of God, is going to set the course for your entire life. Think about how much is based on what you think about God. If you think of God as an angry dictator, sort of sitting up in the sky with his judge's robe and he's looking to sort of smite all the sinners, and then, then you're going to live in that kind of way. You're going to live out of fear. You're going to live out of always trying to prove yourself to God. You're going to be probably moralistic. You're going to be judgmental of others. If, on the other hand, your doctrine of God is that he's sort of sort of this grandfatherly, <clears throat> benign figure who uh, uh, doesn't really care about holiness, he doesn't really care about right and wrong, just kind of wants everybody to get along, you're going to live in an entirely different way. What you think about God uh, 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 determines how much time you want to spend with him. I mean, do you enjoy going to God? Do you enjoy those time, times alone with God? Do you, do you delight in him? Do you treasure him? It affects your evangelism. How are you going to tell other people about God unless you yourself really see him as the source of all that is good? So there may be no more important question than this. Who is God? In your mind, what, what comes to mind when you think of God? Isaiah is where we're going to turn to, to the attributes of God, where we're going to do this study of who God is. So to begin our series on Isaiah, Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John. 
Yes, you heard me correct. To begin a series on the book of Isaiah, let's turn to 1 John. Those of you that know me know I like to uh, uh, do things my own way, do th- mix things up a little bit. I want to lay down, before we even crack open Isaiah, and, and this week, by the way, I, I challenge you, get, get your Bibles. If you have a good study Bible, it'd be a great week to read that introductory matter about the book of Isaiah. Read some notes. Read the first couple chapters. It's not the easiest book to read, but nothing that's really worth doing in life is never the easy things. So I challenge you to do that, but I thought it'd be good to, to go to near the end of the scriptures, 1 John, and then the beginning of the scriptures to lay a foundation for what we're going to look at in Isaiah. So here we go, 1 John, how, how, would, how would you sum up who God is? Let's start there. Where can we find a sort of bumper sticker uh, description of who God is? In other words, a definition of who God is that could fit on a bumper sticker. Well, the apostle John gives us one. You remember John, he walked with Jesus. He was the disciple who Jesus loved. He writes this letter, and he says, look, we've seen the risen Jesus. We've seen him with our eyes. Our hands have touched him. We we felt the nail scars and the the piercing in the side. And, And this is the message. This is how we would sum up everything Jesus taught us about who God is. This is how we would do it. Now, before I show you this, ponder that for a second. How would you do that? How would you say, this is everything Jesus taught us about the doctrine of God. This, according to Jesus, is who God is. Can you imagine? This is how John does it. John says, I can tell you who God is. God, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God, I tell you, God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Uh, kids, if you're watching this, will you, will you uh, uh, repeat this after me and memorize it? Grown-ups, if you're watching this, will you also repeat this after me? And let's memorize the scripture together. Who is God? God is light. Say it with me. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Very good. What does it mean, God is light? What John's trying to say is, God is perfect in his love. He's perfect in his holiness. There's no shadow of turning. There's no no dark side to God. This is different. Remember, this is different from every other human being you've ever met, even the best human beings you've ever met. Think about that for a second. John is saying God is not like a really, really good human being. God is completely other, completely different from a human being because even in the best human relationships, there's sin in that human, and therefore, there's the possibility they could betray you, they could turn on you. He's saying God's not like that. There's no shadow of turning, there's no dark side, there's no, there's no, hey, step out in faith, oh, maybe I decide to catch you, maybe I won't. No, 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 not with God. We've never seen that in any any other human being. In fact, even in the best relationships, we, we can't say that there's light. I mean, look, your mama may be smart, and your dad may be strong, and your friends may be rock solid and really cool, but even in the best relationships, there can be darkness. In fact, if you want a fun experiment, if you're watching this with other people in the room, just pause right now and turn to that person that you love and look them in the eyes and say, there's darkness inside of you. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding, don't do that. That, that sounds creepy. <laughs> Uh, or maybe some of you did it with tremendous ease, which is maybe even more scary, right? Like, I've been telling you all morning, there's darkness, okay? 
At any rate, John's point is God is not like a human being. That's why it's difficult for us to believe this, that God is like, but what if we did? Hmm? What if we did? What if that verse became an anthem that resonated throughout our soul? And if, and if we believe that, that God is like, that he's perfectly good, think about it. We would trust him. We would obey Think of it this way. You will always hold back in your obedience to God until you believe this verse is true. You will always hold back in your obedience to God until you believe that God is light and in him there's no darkness. In his hand is the most, is the most perfectly safe place in the universe for you to be. That makes sense. The Christian life takes faith. How are you going to step out on faith? How are you going to step off that ledge? How are you going to follow him in that obedience and trust unless you are certain of his character, unless you're absolutely certain about who he is, that he is light. You'll always hold back in your obedience to God until you see God is perfectly good as having no darkness. Uh, put it another way. Your obedience is directly linked to how much you believe that verse. You believe that he is light and in him there's no darkness. If you've been a part of this church for a while, you may remember I preached a series on the book of James and I called it faith Faithbedience. A made-up word, faith-bedience. The idea is it's a mashup of faith and obedience. And I was trying to make the point that I thought what James was saying is that it's nonsense to try to separate your faith in God from your obedience to God. James's point is, no, no, no. Your obedience to God simply shows what kind of faith you have in God. Uh, faith obedience. Think of it this way. Your works just display what you really believe. You show me what you believe based on what you do. If you really believe something's going to happen, you're going to act in a certain way. Your faith, uh, excuse me, your works are just your faith gone public. Faith obedience. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, now, Isaiah is going to try to get across to his people, and I'm trying to get across to us today that, that God is light, that you can trust him, that he's perfectly good. Why don't we believe that? Well, one, one, why I don't always believe that, one point I kind of already uh, mentioned, that we've never, because we've never seen this in a human, we just assume that it can't happen in God, but there's a, another reason. There's another reason why we hold back in our obedience. There's another reason why we don't trust him like we should. It's because we've been lied to about the character of God. We have been believing a lie about who God is. It's an ancient lie, and I wanna take you all the way back to the book of Genesis to show you where this lie begins. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And you remember, Satan tempts Adam and Eve to eat from the forbidden fruit. They, theologians call this the fall of man. Genesis chapter three, starting in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now stop right there. You see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Satan comes right in and he takes shots at the goodness of God. Satan walks up to Adam and Eve in the form of a, 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 a talking serpent and says to Adam and Eve, listen, this is what I heard. This is kind of the rumor that's been going around the Garden of Eden. Now, Eden is a small town. You know how these animals talk. And this is what I've heard. Is it true? Can it possibly be true what I've heard? That God said you are not allowed to eat any fruit from any of these trees. 
Now, that's not at all what God said. But you see what he's doing. He's saying, well, that doesn't sound like a very good God to me. Doesn't sound like a God that's light and has no darkness. You see what he's doing? He's twisting what God said and trying to get Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness of God. Well, thankfully, Eve sets the serpent straight in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. That's very interesting. Satan wants to focus on the thou shalt not of God's command, when in fact, God's command was a thou shalt. If you go back and read it, God said, you shall eat from any of the trees in the garden, just not the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And the woman is correct. She points that out. You, verse 3, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. That should have ended the matter, but here the serpent strikes. Verses 4 and 5 of Genesis chapter 3, this is the source, listen to me carefully, this is the source of the lie that is still going around today. And it is pervasive, and it is discipling our children, and it is discipling us more than we want to admit. We're believing this lie. First, the serpent gets Eve, or tries to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's word, and hits them with verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, he will not surely die. You hear that? You hear that lie? You hear what he's insinuating? Just because God says something doesn't mean it's going to come true. This is exactly the lie that people were believing in Isaiah's day. This is exactly the lie that we're believing in 2020. Just because God says something doesn't mean it's going to come true. No, 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 no. He says, verse 4, you, you will not surely die. No. And we don't know how long it lasted between verse 4 and verse 5. We don't know how long he let that sort of sit there. I imagine he looks at Adam and Eve kind of watches their reaction to that. They'd never thought of that before, maybe, that, that, that God could somehow not be trusted fully and that his word was 100% true. So I imagine he waits for that to settle in, and then he strikes. Verse 5. No, no, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You hear that? I, seems to me, Satan says, seems to me God is holding out on you. Yeah, God looks all good. It, it looks on the surface like you can trust him, but you don't know that. I mean, seems to me if God really had your best interest in mind, he would want you to self-actualize. He would want you to do you. He would want you to be the best you could be, right? He would want you to give full expression to every appetite you have. Seems to me God looks good, but I don't think you can really trust him because if he were really good, he would let you eat that fruit. Now, people will often say, Satan tempted Adam and Eve and told him to eat the fruit. Show me. He never says eat the fruit. Show me. He never says eat the fruit. What he does, he doesn't just tempt them to go and sin. He tempts them to doubt the goodness of God. That's what I want you to see. His temptation is not just to sin. His temptation is to doubt the goodness of God. And once that's up for grabs, once humans doubt the goodness of God, any manner of sin can flow. <laughs> he didn't have to tell him, eat the fruit. He just planted the seed of doubt that God is not who he says he is. God is not as good as he says he is. And then just back away. Well, it seems to me if God really loved you, he would, uh, he would allow you to eat the fruit. But what do I know? I'm just a talking ser serpent. Seems like you, you two have a lot to talk about, so I'll just be over here waiting, you know, for the fall of man. And what happens next? Verse 6. What happens? Hmm? What happens when a human in the ancient Garden of Eden, when an ancient Israelite in Isaiah... Or when a person in Alabama in 2020, what happens when we doubt the goodness of God? I'll tell you what happens. Disobedience. 
and disaster, destruction, sin, the fall of man when we believe the lie. Look at verse six. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Adam and Eve were right there together in all this. And he ate. And from that point on, that lie has been going around. And you hear, you hear the pain of Eden, don't you? Don't we still feel the reverberations of the pain, of the, the tear in the fabric of the universe when humans for the first time rebelled against their maker? We're still seeing the pain. Every time there's a diagnosis of, of that malignant cancer, every time a man looks at a woman and says, this marriage is over, every time a bullet tears through flesh and bone, we still feel the pain of Genesis 3.6. Where does it all come from? It comes from the same place. It comes from humans believing a lie that our enemies trying to spread that God is not light and that you can't trust him. Let me state as clearly as I can. Satan didn't just get Adam and Eve to sin. He got him to do the one sin from which every other sin can flow. Didn't he? I mean, every, think about it. Pick a sin, any sin, and you can trace it back to a lack of trust in the goodness of God. Name any sin, and it traces back to a lack of trust in the goodness of God. If you're facing a temptation right now, technically, technically, you don't have a sin problem. You've got a doctrine of God problem that's leading to the sin. Maybe some examples would be helpful. Why would I lie? Why would I ever lie? God says that he'll take care of my reputation. And what people think are not nearly as important as what God thinks. But I don't believe he'll do that. I don't trust him to do that. And so I lie to manipulate my image in the minds of other people. Why? Because I don't know if I can trust my reputation into the hands of God. I don't know if he's truly light and in him there's no darkness. Why would I steal? God says he is a good shepherd and he'll provide everything I need. But I don't know if he'll provide that. So I steal to take something in an illicit way. Why? I don't know if I can believe that he's good. Why would I lust? God says he can provide for these appetites he's given in his context, in his way. But I don't know that I can trust that. So I take what I need in an illicit way. Why? Because I don't know if he can be believed. I don't know if he can be trusted. Why would I carry a grudge? Why would I uh, 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 take revenge on somebody? God says he's the perfect judge, and he'll dole out the wrath in his time, and he, he'll take care of all that stuff. But I don't know if I can trust him. I don't know if he's a good judge who'll do justice. So I'm going to take revenge, and I'm going to carry a grudge because I don't know if I can trust God. You see that? Every sin traced back to a lack of belief in the goodness of God. So how can we know? How can we undo the lie of the enemy? The thread, listen to me, the thread that gets from the lie of Genesis 3 in the garden all the way to 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there's no darkness. That thread runs through Isaiah. How can we know? How can we have the truth that undoes the lies of the enemy? God's word, that's how. Isaiah, the prince of prophets, as we look through the prophet Isaiah, as we walk through in these days ahead, we're going to be coming back again and again. God's goodness. He can be trusted. We need his revelation. We need God to reveal himself to us in his word. And that's why we're opening up Isaiah, and that's why we're going to go through this series. 
I found a quote, it's uh, pretty old, 1863. William Henry Green wrote in his book, uh, The Pentateuch, he wrote a book about the uh, commentary in the first five books of the Bible. And so it's an old quote and it's got um, some old language, but I want you to think about what he's saying. Without the word of God, without God telling us what he's like, how can we answer any of the big important questions in life? And I wanna close with this. Now again, it's got some old language, but I think you'll be able to follow along. Listen to this quote. He says, who can tell us whether this awful and mysterious silence in which the infinite one has wrapped himself portends mercy or wrath? You hear what he's saying? Who can, there's a lot of mystery around God. How are you gonna find out, is God full of mercy? Is he full of wrath? I mean, everybody right now is saying in the midst of this pandemic, God's gonna work good from evil, or, or how do you know that? Look around, okay, he goes on. Who can say to the troubled conscience whether he whose laws in nature are inflexible and remorseless will pardon sin? <laughs> that's great. Again, it's old language. But he's saying, say you got somebody who's ridden with guilt. Say that's you today. And, and you're wondering, is God going to forgive sin? He's saying, if all you had was the laws of nature, if you just look around, nature's red and tooth and claw. Nature's survival of the fittest. It's the law of the jungle. What would possibly make you think that God is a God who's going to pardon sin and that he's merciful if all you could look at was the way the world works? Or, or look into your own mind. Look what he says next. Who can answer the anxious inquiry, whether the dying live on or whether they cease to be? Is there a future state? If so, what's the nature of that condition of being? Is there immortal happiness? How can I attain it? If there's everlasting woe, how can it be escaped? In other words, he's saying, just looking around, without revelation from God, you just look around. How are you going to know that there's life after death? And if so, what's it like? And if there's a heaven, how do you attain it? And if there's a hell, how do you avoid it? How, in your own mind, or looking at nature, how are you going to know this? Here's where he, he, he punctuates his point. Let the reader close his Bible and ask himself seriously what he knows upon these momentous questions apart from its teachings. You hear what he's saying? Close your Bible and honestly, without the word of God, what do you know about the most important questions of life? Just from observing nature or your own mind. What, what solid foundation, he says, has he to rest upon? What's gonna give you peace of mind? in regard to matters which so absolutely transcend all earthly experience are entirely out of the reach of our unassisted faculties. Come on, what he's saying, what, what in your mind, what, what could possibly give you rest? A man of facile faith may perhaps delude himself into the belief of what he wishes to believe. He may thus take upon trust God's unlimited mercy, his ready forgiveness of transgressors and eternal happiness after death. I love that, in other words, he's saying, hey, you may, you may want all this to be true, but he says, but that's just a dream. No, he knows nothing and he can know nothing except by direct revelation from heaven. And that is what we have in the word of God. You can't undo, some of you are in the grip of the lie of the enemy right now. You're walking in that lie. You can't trust God, the lie says, you can't trust him. You can't undo the lies by more lies. You can only undo the lies by truth. And this word is truth. That's what 1 John 1, 5 is saying. God is light and in him there's no darkness. How do we know that? We know it by his word. And we're gonna see it in Isaiah. And we're gonna see this theme driven home over and over again that God is light and in him there's no darkness. So I hope you're excited as I am. I, the application here obviously for, for, for believers to, to stop walking in this lie and begin walking in the truth the goodness of God, who is God, and opening up our hearts just a little bit this morning 
First John 1, 5, God is light and in him there's no darkness. As we close, I wanna share the good news, the great news, that God did more than just reveal himself in his word, didn't he? God did more than just give us a book. No, God did more. God himself took on flesh and became born as a little baby, born in Bethlehem, born in a manger. And he lived a spotless life, a sinless life, and he died a sinner's death on the cross. And when he died on the cross, we know from his word, the word of God, and we know from the cross of Jesus Christ that when he stretched out his arms, it would forever, it would forever undo the lie of the enemy. For every lie that says you can't believe God, for every lie that says you can't trust him, for every lie that says in God there might be darkness, look to the cross. And there, the outstretched arms of Jesus on that Roman cross, he answered once and forever, not just with his lips, but with his cross, that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness, none at all. And every page of Isaiah is gonna whisper his name. You'll see that. Everything's gonna drive us to this incredible truth that God is exactly who he says he is. God is light, and in him, there's no darkness at all. If you wanna know the character of God, don't look at your circumstances, don't look at the lies of the enemy. Look to the cross and open his word. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray right now for anyone who feels far from you, for anyone who doesn't know you this morning, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would cry out to you and be saved. They would believe that you are light, that they would no longer listen to the lie of the enemy. And I pray for believers today that they take fresh encouragement, that they, they, I need a new vision of who you are, a renewed vision of your goodness and your glory and your holiness and your mercy. Our church needs a fresh vision of who you are, oh God. So go with us as we walk through this series on Isaiah. God, teach us afresh about who you are and your attributes. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. I'm glad you were here today for our online worship experience. I say this every week, but... If you're here and you're watching this video and you would say you don't know if you're saved, you don't know if you have a relationship with God, don't overcomplicate this. Cry out to him today. I urge you, come to him. I mean, I've, I've been sharing as best I know how that he's good. You're believing the lies of the enemy. Won't you believe the voice of your Savior today? He's good. You can trust him. Come to him. Just call out to him. Cry out, Jesus, save me. We've got someone ready to walk you through that. If you need help, call 256-734-5632. That's the number at First Baptist Church. We've got somebody ready to talk with you, to pray with you. Reach out to somebody on the social media or the chat. Or people want to help you. They'll rejoice with you in this. And if you're a believer, I pray you're as excited as I am to, to dive into this uh, fresh series. For such a time as this, do we ever need a fresh word about who God is? I'm excited. Well, I pray you have a, a blessed Sunday or whatever day it is that you watch this. Our benediction is 2 Corinthians, and I pray that you walk in the blessing of God this week. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
And wherever you are, all God's people said, amen and amen. I love you. Have a great week. Be blessed. Thanks for worshiping with us today. It is always a privilege to get together and worship together with God's people. We know that these days are challenging, circumstances are difficult, but we want you to know that how much we just, we love you, we appreciate you. We're all looking forward to the day that we get to worship together again. And until that day, be full of hope and courage and know that God is with us. He has a plan and we keep pressing forward. We love you. Have a great week.